Hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of War Lions Radio. I'm your host, Bill DeFilvo, joined tonight by my co-host, Matt Filipovitz. Matt, what's going on? Bill, I'm in my free time right now. I'm rewatching the series Avatar The Last Airbender. Are you familiar with it? Uh, I haven't seen it, but everyone I know who has seen it talks about it like it's the, it's the greatest television. Well, the greatest animated television show of all time. It's absolutely terrific. I am 23 years old, and I feel like I'm learning a lot about life from this kid's show. And so, so the point of Avatar The Last Airbender is Aang, the Avatar, has to master all four elements by the end of summer. And I think that ties in really, really, really well to Penn State's receivers. But they have to master one element by the end of summer, and that's catching the football. So I th- think there's a lot of really good similarities here right now going on in my life. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm doing that with The Sopranos, which uh, despite my name... Uh, being Bill DeFilippo and being from Northern New Jersey, I had never seen before. Uh, and like Tony Soprano, I would like it if all of Penn State's receivers uh, gained everyone's respect this year with a big 2020 or whenever it happens season. Uh, of course, before we get into any of the uh, not important stuff, which is obviously college football, we hope everyone out there listening is staying safe, wearing a mask, washing their hands, keeping six feet, doing all the stuff that needs to happen uh, so that you know, hopefully some t- sooner rather than later, we are able to get back to some semblance of normalcy in all our lives. Uh, and yeah, one thing that has become normal over the last couple of years for us is Penn State's wide receivers um, need a little bit of work. And today that's what we're going to be talking about, Penn State's wide receiving core. Uh, we're doing it a little bit different than we did our quarterback preview and our running back preview because a depth chart for Penn State's receivers uh, is a little bit tricky to figure out right now. I mean, we had a pretty good idea uh, during the, uh, you, you know, heading into the season, what the depth chart would look like for quarterback, what the quarter uh, depth chart would look like for running back. When it comes to Penn State, uh, Penn State's receivers. That's a little bit trickier to figure out. We have the uh, depth chart that Penn State put out in the spring. Uh, its first string was Daniel George at the X, Cam Selvin Brown at the Z, Jahan Dotson at the H, with their backups respectively being John Dunmore, TJ Jones, and Keandre Lambert-Smith. A few new guys are going to be coming into the fold this year. And Matt, the way that I think is best to approach this, we put out a call for questions on Twitter. We got a few coming in. I think it's best if we go through a collection of the questions that we got and then do a little bit of expectation setting uh, and looking ahead when that comes around. Uh, I think that heading into this year, there is no question on Penn State's roster that I am more um, unsure about than wide receiver. Is that something that you would agree with, or is there a position uh, on the field for the Nittany Lions that you scratch your head at a little bit more than that one? No. Receiver, I have no idea what's going to happen. It's pretty much fellow Lehigh Valley son, Jahan Dotson, shout out shout out Nazareth, um, and Daniel George are pretty much, I think, the two penciled in starters. And after that, there's legitimately nothing to suggest anybody else has put enough on film or even, even shown enough in practice in, in their time on campus, whether that be a three-year guy or, or a freshman getting in here that says they can be ready to step up and really be a regular contributor. It's scary, especially because you look up and down the roster, there's really not even big questions. There's pretty much no questions at a lot of positions except for receiver where it's just 
I have no idea where production's going to come from outside of those top two guys. Yeah, and last year, of course, Penn State's uh, star in the passing game was K.J. Hamler. K.J. caught 56 balls for 904 yards and eight touchdowns. Pat Frymuth was next on the team. And then from K.J., a bit of a drop-off to Jahan Dotson, 27 catches, 488 yards, five touchdowns. Then things got a little bit bleak. Next up among receivers was Justin Shorter, now at the University of Florida. 12 catches, 137 yards. Daniel George, 9 catches for 100 yards. Then Dan Chisena, 3 catches for 66 yards. NFL uh, player Dan NFL Chisena. receiver Dan Chisena. That's right. Put some respect on his name. I, I, I made it a point to. Don't, uh, we, we, Dan Chisena is an NFL player. And my God, do I hope he ends up being good. He's in a, he's in a good situation, uh, all things considered. Cam Sullivan Brown next up, eight catches, 56 yards. Then you start getting into Weston Carr, Isaac Lutz, Matt Kippenhammer, two of those guys no longer with the program, Isaac Lutz, uh, a walk-on for the Nittany Lions. You look at that, and it's a little bit bleak. And that leads in very well to our first question from at John S. Lombardi. He wants to know, how come year after year after year our wide receiving corps has to rely on one guy with absurd talent when the rest of the room seems to stink out loud? And Matt, like, you know how I, bad you have to stink for it to make a sound? Like you mm, stink out loud? That's bad. Well, I mean, I suppose that if you stink, are is your stink being the one letting off the noise, or are you just like attracting flies or something? I'm thinking it's like pig pen from the peanuts where it's kind of just like a cloud around you. And that's that probably going to make a sound. <laughs> so hopefully there's no cloud around Penn State's receivers. But I think this is a really interesting question and good way uh, to lead off. Matt, if you had to venture a guess and I have my answer to this and I think that, um, y- you know, it's just a, it is a pretty tough question to answer. What would you have to say is the reason for this over however many years you want to go back? Yeah, I'll give the last two. I think those are the two most important. So back in 2018, when it was Trace McSorley's last year, Penn State was moving on to a new wide receivers coach in David Corley. And no disrespect to David Corley, but David Corley is not a wide receivers coach. He came in there to coach running backs. And that was a very, very, very young receiving group that needed coaching up. And Corley just couldn't do that. So then that was just, you know, talent prevailed. And that's where K.J. Hamler came up. So that's kind of why I think K.J. was was the guy as a redshirt freshman. And then last year as a redshirt sophomore, Sean Clifford was a first-time starter. And it's scary to be a first-time starter in the Big Ten. And you have to find a security blanket. And when you can have that be K.J. Hamler or, you know, Pat Fryermuth, if you want to look at it that way, you're going to try to force the ball there. So I don't think it was necessarily – a knock on the talent a guy like Justin Shorter had or that Jahan Dotson has. I think it was just Clifford was a first year starter and it was a lot of pressure. So if you can look at Fryermuth, who's going to be a first round pick and KJ Hamler, who was a second round pick in an insanely deep receiver draft class, you're going to try to force the ball to them. I, th- I think it's really pretty simple and it's not so much a knock on the receivers as it is just really weird situations in two separate years. Yeah, I, when I when we were posed this question, I decided to go back and look at the last three years of Penn State football. Obviously, 2016 was the year Deshaun Hamilton, Mike Kosicki, uh, Chris Godwin, just this absolutely stacked receiving core. Going back to 2017, Penn State's 
Penn State's top two pass catchers were Deshaun Hamilton, 53 receptions, 857 yards, and Juwan Johnson, uh, Johnson, sorry, 54 receptions, 701 yards. Then you had DeAndre Tompkins at 28 catches for 443 yards. Saeed Blackwell for 17, 289. And I'm sorry, how many did Dotson have last year? Was it 24? Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll get to that in a second. Okay. Uh, but you also had Saquon Barkley and Mike Gusecki. Those are three NFL players and a guy who was really, really, really good in 2017, Jahan Dotson, that Trace McSorry was throwing the ball to. So I do kind of want to push back against uh, that sentiment if it goes back to 2017. 2018, it was K.J. Hamler who... 42 catches, 754 yards. You had Pat Fryermuth's emergence in there. And then for the receiving core, DeAndre Tompkins was what he was, you know, uh, a flawed receiver. Jawan Johnson, uh, Jawan Johnson, I believe, dealt with uh, a couple of injuries. He was banged up. He was yeah, banged he was, up a lot He was banged year. up, uh, just never quite looked like himself. Jahan Dotson emerged a little bit at the end of the season, uh, and then Brandon Polk was also in there. 42 catches for Hamler, 25 for uh, Johnson, 25 for Tompkins, 13 for Dotson, 9 for Polk. And he also had Miles Sanders as an option out of the backfield. He caught 24 balls, Pat Frymer called 26. So that's there, there's a reason why I think there was an issue. There's the stuff that Matt laid out, and then there was just naturally... When Jawan Johnson got hurt, there wasn't really that number one option, so it had to be Hamler and Frymuth eventually emerging. Tompkins was never going to be that kind of guy. Dotson was a true freshman. Polk was never going to be that kind of guy. Then last year, KJ caught 56 balls for 904 yards. Uh, Frymuth, 43 for 507. You should just force the ball to those two guys. And then Dotson uh, was at 27 and 488. Now, what I think the issue was last year Jahan Dotson was a true sophomore. Uh, Justin Shorter was either a redshirt freshman or a two, true sophomore. Daniel George, redshirt freshman or true sophomore. Uh, Cam Sullivan-Brown was banged up a bit. Those are really young guys in those positions. And while James Franklin has that mantra that you mentioned, Matt, that the farther away you are for the ball, the sooner you get on the field, that still could be too early for some dudes. And you add in the fact that all of them, uh, since they're – no true freshmen uh, in that group breaking into the uh, into the pass catching group were on their second wide receivers coach in as many years, and they had a first time starting quarterback. Like it just makes sense to me looking back why Penn State's receiving core wasn't quite as good as it could have been last year. Is that are you basically in the same camp? Yeah, for sure. There, there was just talent outside of them. Journey Brown came on as a pretty good patch, pass catcher. Ricky Slade could do that if they needed to. They went to tight end a lot. Nick Bowers, NFL tight end Nick Bowers. Shout out to him. Um, he, he came on a little bit and he took some catches away. So I think a lot of it was just they were just surrounded by superior talent. And like I said, with Clifford being a first time starter, when you have that superior talent, you're going to want to throw it their way as much as you can. Yeah, they ran the ball last year. You know, I don't have the specific numbers uh, in front of me. It would take, uh, I would have to do some quick maths, and I'm not good at quick maths. So they ran the ball 516 times last year. They threw the ball two, or they threw the ball 369 times among their three quarterbacks. Nice. It, I agree. If you're doing just Sean Clifford, he threw the ball 319 times. They very obviously seem to be a team that emphasized running the football last year. How much of that was because that was just what they were good at? How much of that was because no one other than KJ and Pat were reliable pass catchers? I don't know. Uh, 
we might get a sense of that this season, but this is an interesting year for Penn State because uh, in addition to KJ Hamler being gone, in addition to a lot of guys getting pushed up the depth chart, in addition to Justin Shorter being gone, uh, Penn State is on its third wide receivers coach in as many years. Isn't uh, it four? Yeah, it would be. It, Gattis, it, it would be four. Yeah, Gattis, Ga- Corley, Josh Gaddis Parker, left to go to Alabama. Oh, David Corley ended up leaving. Uh, Jared Parker went to become the office coordinator at uh, West Virginia. Now it's Taylor Stubblefield. Uh, and at Patty Takes wants to know general thoughts on Stubblefield. I think that it's really hard for us to you know make any sort of uh, a declaration on this, but if the uh, you know, his reputation is true that he is going to come in and he is going to be a really, really good wide receivers coach. I will be overjoyed because I believe there is enough talent in this room, Matt, that if they are coached up, they're going to be able to do some really special things. Yes, I feel it's hard to tell really what kind of coach he is because he's bounced around a lot over the past decade. But one thing I remember KJ Hamler saying a couple years back, actually right after Parker got hired, is that he likes the fact that he's being coached by a guy who played the position. And in the history of the Big Ten, not many people were, were better at receiver than Taylor Stubblefield. So I, I don't really have a strong opinion. Miami's offense was abysmal last year, but that's really no fault of the receivers. That's more or less their offensive line, I'm pretty sure, was like four dudes they got off the street. So it, it, it's kind of hard to have a really established take on what he is. But with the talent around him and with what we've seen him be able to do on those stops, even if it is kind of a, a very, very small sample size, I think there's a lot to like. And I think he's the kind of guy who's looking for that stability as well. And Penn State needs stability at that position. I think he's the kind of guy who can really become one of the better receiver coaches in the conference over the next, you know, two, three, four, five years. Yeah. Coach the technique and you know, the, the, the thing that we've heard or the, the talking point that has been out there is that he's a coach. He's not necessarily a recruiter, a recruiter, blah, 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 blah. If you're That's good, fine. That's right. Fine. Yeah. Penn state staff has recruiters. And also like, if you're good enough that you're able to coach up dues and have them turn into something special, I think the rest will take care of itself. And, Last year at Miami, I decided to go back and while you were talking and look into uh, the Canes' top receivers. Uh, KJ Osborne caught 50 balls for 547 yards. Mike Harley 38 for 485. Jeff Thomas 31 for 379. Dee Wiggins 20 for 335. Obviously, I would like it a bit if there were uh, there was some more yardage. Uh, on there, and two of those guys, uh, Osborne and Thomas, are now in the NFL. But if you could tell me that Penn State's going to have uh, between its top four receivers, uh, that would be 110, 130, 140 catches. I'd be good math. Yeah, I'd be relatively happy with that, considering what you're going to get out of uh, Pat Fryermuth at tight end. So, listen, hope hopefully. Uh, again, we'll get a better sense of this uh, once games start up, once stuff cars coming out of camp, all of that. Hopefully that all Taylor Stubblefield needs to do is get guys to uh, produce on the field. Uh, at the very least, he's one hell of a football player. So maybe uh, maybe we could like file a waiver to the Big Ten and see if uh, see if he'll be able to step on the field. But if we could... Uh, we could just see Trout, what Trout Wine would be the guy I want to see put put the pads back on. Ooh, especially fun. now, dude, he'd be a great tight end. 
Yeah, he's like tall and long and he looked rather strong. But also, as an aside, Taylor Stubblefield, 73 receptions, 910 yards, two touchdowns as a freshman, 77, 789, and zero touchdowns as a sophomore, 86, (laughs) 86, 835, and three touchdowns as a junior, 89, 1,009. 1,095 and 16 touchdowns as a senior um, for him. What the hell was Purdue doing those first three years with him? Bubble screens. It had to have been man. Bubble right? screen. Like, think about how many catches that is to not break a thousand yards three years in a row and then barely break it in your fourth year. That was so it all. It all had to have been three yard hitches. So there was it was Kyle Orton, Kyle Orton. I th- would he have been there for Breeze? I don't know. I think I think he was the year after he got there. Okay, man, he w- God, he sh- he really deserved Drew Breeze and not just Kyle Wharton doing whatever the hell Kyle Wharton was doing. Uh, moving on to our next, uh, we will be sure to make fun of Purdue a little bit more down the road. But uh, and you can, I won't. I don't want that boiler maker showing up by my bedside. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. yeah. Purdue, it's like Beetlejuice. Pur- Purdue Pete is really scary. If you say Purdue Pete three times, and he's going to show up, which is why I'm going to stop it too. <laughs> uh, at Tall Jake, ha- uh, he has a question based on the other major uh, addition to Penn State's uh, major change to Penn State's. Uh, general offensive philosophy, which is what kind of scheme slash routes can we expect from a Kirk Shiraka offense? And Matt, you did a little bit of diving into this uh, when Kirk Shiraka was hired away from Minnesota. What did you kind of take away uh, about what he can bring to this Penn State passing attack? Yeah, there are a few big things with with Shiraka's offense that are fascinating. First of all, if you play man against Kirk's offense, you're done for. We we saw Penn State get absolutely torched by Rashad Bateman and, oh my God, who was the other guy? Tyler Just Johnson. Just went to the Buccaneers. Tyler, Tyler Johnson, Johnson, who is Tyler now Johnson, uh, winding it. up next to Mike Evans and Chris Godwin and catching balls from uh, Totally Washed Tom Brady. Yeah, I tried to get his name out of my head because I'm still hurt by it. But a lot of what Kirk likes to do is put corners in a bind. And going back, if you remember Rashad Bateman's first touchdown last year, it was Lamont Wade came off the top on a blitz and I left, I think what, who was John Reed in a bind where they had two receivers lined up to Reed's side and one came in on a short route and one went deep over the top. And because that blitz came, the quarterback knew it was man. Reed had to make a pick and he knew he had a safety over the top. And I think it was Garrett, Garrett Taylor played it too far off and he dropped a dime right in there. So he put a corner in a bind that you just cannot work yourself out of. And if you have a safety over the top, you hope he's there. But if it's a one-on-one, I think every offensive coordinator is going to trust their, you know, potentially first-round wide receiver over any safety you put out there. And then another thing that he really likes to do is he likes to create a lot of natural separation. So some really fun things that he likes to do is he likes to line two guys up, one in the slot, you know, one out wide, and he'll like to send one deep, but not the one you think. He'll send the one in the slot deep, and he'll kind of send them out closer towards the boundary and then the guy on the boundary is going to cut in so if it's man it creates kind of that natural rub and creates a really nice cushion over the middle and we saw penn state get torched there a good bit against minnesota last year so it's a lot of stuff that's really going to confuse corners and put them in binds and then force either safeties or linebackers to keep up with receivers and at this level there's not many safeties or linebackers who can go toe-to-toe with big 10 receivers yeah and while you uh while you were mentioning all of that, I decided to go back and look at the stats for 
uh, our beloved Minnesota Golden Gophers wide receivers last year. Uh, Tyler Johnson caught 83 balls for 1,318 yards and 13 touchdowns. Rashad Bateman was at 60, 1,219 and 11 touchdowns. Can you imagine having 2,000-yard receivers? Uh, I legitimately, I legitimately can't. That would be extremely cool. How close did uh, how close did Godwin and Deshaun come in 2016? Let me go look. Deshaun, Deshaun didn't have that much of an impact in 2016. Oh, that's had, right. He, yeah, yeah, he yeah, had a, yeah. He had a low year. Yeah, Godwin's at 982, and then Gasicki was uh, what was the next closest man? Think uh, about how good Godwin was, and he didn't break a thousand. And for, for for Minnesota, their second dude got more than how much Godwin got. Chris Godwin was stupid. Uh, then they also had Chris Altman Bell, who caught 28 balls for 371 yards and five touchdowns. And listen, 28 balls is one more than Jahan Dotson caught last year. Dotson had more yardage, and they were equal in uh, receiving touchdowns. But like that's better than what Penn State got. Then Demetrius Douglas, 14 catches, 157 yards. Penn State's that he was their fourth receiver. Penn State's third receiver was 12, 137, and zero. And that was Justin Shorter. Like, Kirk Shiraka, and it, it, it's important to mention that it is very easy, some to, it can be very easy to coach wide receivers when they are being, when they have PJ Fleck teaching them the position. And Fleck, one hell of a wide receivers coach. Shiraka's still the one calling play. Shiraka's still the one who's Wait, saying. Is PJ the receivers coach? Is that his position? Coach? Uh, not the receivers coach. Uh, he, uh, I mean, he was a wide receiver, and huh. yeah, he was. Uh, I forgot that. Yeah, what? I, I will double check this because I'm uh, very oftentimes wrong about things. Yeah, I think a, you're right. Yeah, he was a wide receiver right. in Northern Illinois, and then with the San Francisco 49ers. So you, ha- they're getting they're guys that got drilled, but also Kirk Shiraka. He, it's not like he just sat back there and just fell into these lovely guys. He knows how to use them, knows what to do with them. And now he's going to have plenty of talent at his disposal in this Penn state wide receiving group. I know one of the talking points, uh, you know, one of the talking points about Shiraka is, well, this is, He's never really used his tight ends. He's also never had a tight end like Pat Fryermuth. I think that Pat, having Pat Fryermuth as an option, and I do think he is nominally going to be Penn State's number one option for at least the first, you know, however many games of the season while they're waiting for someone else to kind of take on that wide receiver one role. As he should be. As he should be. That is going to open things up for everybody else. And he's also never had a wide receiver like Pat Fryermuth either. I think the potential is there for all of these things to come together with a play caller in Shiraka who knows exactly what to do and how to do the stuff that, or how to ha- teach his guys to do the kinds of things that Matt just mentioned uh, with his past offense, especially last year with Johnson and Bateman. Moving on to our next question, and it, kind of an interesting sp- next step off of that one from at D underscore N underscore G underscore. A catalyst for PSU's success in 2005 was three first-year wide receivers, Williams, Butler, and Norwood. Do we need to see something like that for success this year? And who are the players to make that sort of impact? I think we can, we'll break this down into one and the other, Matt. I don't necessarily think Penn State needs that because I think they have two, two guys talented enough in Dotson, uh, and George and one guy who I think could be a pretty reliable, if not if unspectacular option in Cam Sullivan Brown, who've been around the program long enough that you don't necessarily need to go into the John Dunmores, the Keandre Lambert Smiths, the Parker Washingtons, 
unless they basically take those positions away from those guys. Would you agree with that? Yeah, CSB is getting a lot of really nice, really nice press this this very awkward summer. He's apparently he's coming in looking really good, and he's a guy who I think has to be ready to contribute a lot. He's a guy who entered the transfer portal, if you remember last offseason, and he I think he really took a step back and saw that this season was going to be his opportunity to make a really big impact at a high level. And, and as for the young guys, like, like James Franklin always says, and like you just said, the further away you are from the football, the easier it is to get onto the field. And if you're a good receiver in high school, I'm willing to bet you're going to be a good receiver in college because you're, if you're fast, you're fast. If you can catch, you can catch. That doesn't really change. The dudes around you are better, but but those two simple facts that, that every receiver can can kind of claim remain the same. And I don't think they're going to need a lot of production out of, you know, Parker Washington, Keandre Lambert-Smith, John Dunmore, John Dunmore-Hive. Um, but I, I just – I don't think they're going to need it. But if they have to rely on young guys, I think receiver is the place where you can rely on young guys the most. And that is, you know, a bit of a double-edged short because, yes, you can do it, but also what did we see with Penn State last year? Like, they needed to rely on young guys, and that didn't necessarily work all that well for them. I also think that, you know, looming over all of this is the fact that God knows what this football season is going to end up looking like. Not having... uh the potential three games to start the season. I know that uh, one of those is a trip to Blacksburg, so kind of throwing that one out. But not having Kent State at home, not having San Jose State at home, and not and you know would have Northwestern at home, which that you know the mighty Wildcats. You know how I feel about those Wildcats. They they were really bad last year, just yeah, like but incredibly bad. You have, the means, thing is you have means, to. But like here's the, the thing though: that means they're primed for an eleven and one season and a run at the Big Ten championship game, and they're going to get blown out by like fifty five. It happens thing, all the time. The thing is, you have to like them because you live in Chicago. Well, I, you, you don't necessarily have to because like I don't know how many people I've. I know a few people from Chicago, and I don't think, and I think maybe one or two of them actually like Northwestern, and that's because they went there. But yeah, I live right by a Wisconsin bar. Ooh. Oddly enough, yeah, they have a they have a big moose out front. I really want to go in, but yes. I'm keeping my I'm keeping my distance and Good. wearing a mask because I want football season. Good. Also, probably shouldn't go into bars right now. Uh, yeah, exactly. Neither here nor there. So. Losing those potential game, those potential first two games, the Kent State and the San Jose State games, those are games where a guy like John Dunmore, a guy like T.J. Jones, looking at this incoming freshman class, Keandre Lambert Smith, uh, you know, Jaden Dotton, um, Malik Mega, look like guys who are pro- more projects for down the road, but a Parker Washington, uh, maybe a Norval Black, although you never know how the transitions are going to go from a community college or a junior college rather. That that could hurt those guys. That's something that really, really could impact those guys and their ability to get, you know, cut their teeth and make it onto the field. If anyone is going to kind of take the reins, it has to be a Dunmore or a Jones. But I think that it's probably the smart decision, the, the prudent decision to just rely on Dotson, hope that George kind of takes that step forward, uh, that I think we all think he has certainly has the talent uh, to do, and we'll get to a question about that very shortly. Uh, and, and then Sullivan Brown hoping that, like Matt mentioned, the positive press that he's guessing he's getting uh, translates. 
who are the players to make that sort of impact? Uh, you know, Matt and I are both fans of what John Dunmore can do. Keandre Lambert Smith is a guy who uh, got on got on campus a little bit, maybe has a little bit more familiarity, and seems like you know he has the potential to uh, uh, to, to do something special. Also, I, I didn't know that he's Cam Chancellor's nephew. That's incredibly cool. Is he really? Yeah, according oh to oh my god, Cam, Cam Chancellor, go on the come on the sideline. Yeah, Cam Chancellor, just total aside, folks. Cam Chancellor kicked ass. Uh, and then Parker Washington. Oh, we got we go to uh, hopefully we get to go to Blacksburg this year. Oh, do you think he'll wear uh, the Brady Quinn sister jersey with? Uh, like half is like his number and the other half is Keandre's uh, Penn State jersey. Oh, I hope he does, but I feel like he's going to go all in, all in on the Hokies and really just clown everybody. Yeah, uh, because that's uh, sensible. Uh, and then Parker Washington's the other guy who, you know, it sounded like he had the potential to be someone who just steps on campus and could get going. Uh, whether or not that opportunity presents itself, we don't know. We'll see, but... If I had to guess, Matt, it's one of those Lambert Smith, Washington, uh, and Dunmore guys who they don't even need to step in and be a wide receiver one. They just have to be able to step in and provide a level of competence that uh, you want out of your third, fourth, fifth wide receiver. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, they don't need to come in and be ready to catch, you know, 10 balls or, you know, have 10 targets day one. They just have to be ready for, okay, can I catch the ball on Clifford's third read? That's really all it has to come down to. Speaking of guys who uh, might be Clifford's third, you, you know, that third read, uh, better chance of a three wide receiver set or a two wide receiver set, uh, better chance for wide receiver number three after Dawson and George, uh, Sullivan Brown, Dunmore Lambert. Uh, we'll do that second one first. I think it's probably Sullivan Brown just because experience, but like I – you know, that's a really hard question, I think, to answer until we start seeing what they do in camp, Matt. Would you agree with yeah. that? I think it's CSB to start. Um, but then I think it's kind of similar to what we saw with like John Holland and Pat Fryermuth at mm-hmm. tight end a couple years ago, where I think pretty quickly, whether that's John Dunmore or Keandre Lambert-Smith, those are my two picks. I know I was really high on Jaden Dotton on, on his signing day thing, but I think him losing spring ball and all of that time to develop, I think is really going to hurt him. Um, so it, I'm going to lean into CSB to start maybe for the first month assuming everything goes off without a hitch and then from there curious to see how you know Dunmore and Lambert Smith and then even TJ Jones work in there and then better chance of a three wide receiver set or two tight end set that is a fascinating question to me because we can we know with some amount of certainty that Friar Muth is going to be on the field as much as his body lets him uh Jahan Dotson Daniel George, they're going to get a ton of run. As for what Penn State does with kind of that last, you know, assuming there's one running back, we'll assume they're, we will say just for the purposes of this exercise, it's not going to be a two uh, running back thing, even though. Is there a lion? We'll also say there's no lion. But, you know, if I have to go with which one do I think would be best for Penn State and make the most sense for Penn State, it's probably throwing another running back back there uh, just because of the offensive line that they have, the talent they have a running back, all those sorts of things. But this is a tough one, man. Uh, I guess my cop-out answer is you see how Zach Koontz, Brenton Strange, and Theo Johnson all look. And if you can get away with putting one of them on the field over a third wide receiver, 
you do that. But if you have to get – but even then, like, with how they can run the football, I'd want that extra offensive line, even though, you know – Coons, Strange, and Johnson are more pass catchers than blockers. Like, I'd want that extra offensive line. It's hard. Like, I, honest to God, have no idea. What about you? I think talent-wise, it should be tight end. But knowing the way Kirk Soraka runs his offense, I am terrified that Pat won't get enough catches to go around. So I I can't say with confidence I think it's going to be a second tight end. So I think they're more likely to go with three receiver sets just be, you know, just because of that and also because you can kind of take more bites out of the apple because they have so many dudes yeah. who probably are ready to play and could play. And that's not like, – going back a little bit, that's not to say I don't think Pat's going to get a lot of catches, but I don't think there's enough for Pat to be happy and then for them to warrant going with a second tight end who's probably not as fast as one of the receivers. Yeah, that may – I mean really to me the only way that – there are two ways that you justify a second tight end, which is one, you, uh, you, you know, you just decide we're going to run the football. We're going to get as many big bodies as we can get on the field. And we're just going to bowl over the other team. Uh, and the other is basically if, you, you know, of all of Penn State's pass catchers uh, beyond Pat Fry, well, even including Pat Frymer, in terms of just star ratings, 24-7 composite ratings, Penn State's two best nominal pass catchers off of that extremely flawed metric are Zach Koontz and Theo Johnson. So if one of them can step onto the field and just turn into, or, or Brenton Strange, we'll toss him in here too, and just be this total matchup nightmare and, uh, you know, you do what the New England Patriots were able to do when they had two tight ends who ended up being all, you know, Pro Bowl caliber tight ends. Uh, not saying, you know, anyone has to be a Pro Bowl caliber tight end, this, but just that kind of dynamic. Then you go for something like that, but like, oh God, it's tough. Like, I yeah, guess one I, rebuttal, I'm going to butt in here real quick. One rebuttal I would have to your thing about Penn State going with a second tight end to kind of bulk up. Nick Bowers isn't here anymore. I don't think there's a tight yep. end outside of Pat who's built that way. Kuntz is, what is he, six seven and still skinny. Brenton Strange never really blocked. Theo Johnson for is pretty much a receiver in high school. They don't have that second dude to bully them. So that's why I'm kind of iffy on that strategy. And, and just another reason why I think they're going to have to go with two running back sets, um, put Micah at running back, Kirk, uh, please, or you know, the three receiver sets. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't. Th- I don't think there's another tight end where they could really warrant that giving them enough in the running game to where it would be an effective strategy. Yeah, of all the things that they could do, I think I would probably want just throw a second running back on there, like do something fun with all the running back talent that you have. But like three receivers just seems like the three receivers seems like the thing that with how many guys they have and how many reps those guys need, you end up going with. So we'll say that. Uh, and you know what? Hopefully I'm wrong and Penn State has 3,000-yard rushers this year. So whatever. Uh, last question we have from at uh, Maximus Weiner. Huge Daniel George Dan here. How does he become the next great Penn State wide receiver and why will it happen this season? Uh, how does he do it? Uh, by getting onto the field uh, and catching a lot of footballs. And being really, really good, like, I, I, I hope this doesn't come off as mean, but, like, Penn State just needs him to be something consistent. 
Uh, and I think he could potentially do that. I think he's uh, physically, he has the physical attributes you want out of a receiver. Uh, while Jahan Dotson is more of a slot receiver, Daniel George has, you know, the kind of the physical makeup to be uh, a wide receiver one. And listen, if he is able to put that all together when he steps onto the field this year, I think with how much he has played and the natural talent he has, if he could build up a bit of a rapport with Sean Clifford, Matt, I think he has the potential to be really, really, really good. Allow me to go to bat for Daniel George, Penn State's leading receiver go for in it. 2020. Daniel George, I feel like, is really overlooked because he was in the same class as Justin Shorter, this dude who was expected to be all-world everything. Daniel George was still a four-star prospect, you know, number 274 nationally, a dude who was always going to redshirt just by nature of what the position looked like when he got there. And last year, he was in there when it was KJ and Pat Fryermuth, and he couldn't really break. And Shorter was still here, so he couldn't really break out. In Kirk's offense last year, which I already said was led by Tyler Johnson, Rashad Bateman, two dudes who are six foot two and pretty fast. Daniel George is six foot two and pretty fast. He can be that guy Clifford looks to over the top to go up and make those 50-50 balls down the sideline that Penn State lived and died by in 2016. He has all of the talent all of the physical attributes. It's his third year in the program. It sounds like he's becoming one of the leaders in that room. I think he could very easily lead Penn State in both receptions and receiving yards next year. I am very excited to see what Daniel George can do. He is a physical freak, and what we saw Kirk do with two guys with similar builds, I think the sky's the limit. Right. It's basically, can you over with a guy like him it's can you overpower the cornerback like he has the strength he has the hands he has those sorts of things and I'm glad you mentioned Johnson and Bateman because if he could be that kind of wide receiver which he has it in him to be that kind of wide receiver that's that's where the breakout comes from and that's of all the guys in Penn State's wide receiver room if I have to bet on one just really truly breaking out it would be Daniel George like I think Jahan Dotson just by the nature of how he's going to play the position I don't think he can really be a massive breakout guy Dunmore I guess is up there can do some stuff Sullivan Brown seems more like a consistent option George seems like if anyone's going to become a true wide receiver one out of this position it's going to be him and I hope he can I like, agree I agree it it would be real it would give Penn State something that it desperately needs if he can do that. And, you know, the ball's in his court. If he can do it, we're going to see and we'll probably know pretty quickly what we, ha what we have in Daniel George. I think he can do it. I think he can put it together. As for whether or not he will, Matt, that's a bit of a different question. We will get to that very shortly. But that's it for the mailbag. Thank you to everyone who submitted questions. Make sure you submit questions. Uh, keep an eye on our Twitter account. Uh, we do this on Tuesdays, Wednesdays, during the week. So uh, make sure you are keeping an eye on that. We'll, we would love to uh, take your questions, address them, those sorts of things. Uh, real moving, quick, real quick. I, just uh, something I noticed here. Daniel George is only a redshirt sophomore. Yep. He is 
tied with Jahan Dotson for the second most time spent in the program as a wide receiver. Yep. 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 This is that dude. That dude's going to be a leader. That dude has had three different receivers coaches. He's got to be feeling like everything's going against him. I think he's going to be a dog. Yeah. Him. It, it, it's those two and Cam Sullivan Brown are the guys who, the scholarship guys who have. Yeah, they, scholarship guys. Right. Yeah. Who who've just been around the block and know what it takes to play uh play wide receiver here and that this is a young young wide receiver room outside of them. Dunmore and Jones are both redshirt uh, freshmen. They brought in Keandre Lambert-Smith, Jaden Dotton, uh, Parker Washington, uh, Malik Mega, Norval Black. Like, they need someone to kind of assume the mantle of the leader in uh, in that room. And, you know, hopefully it's him. Ho- hopefully someone is able to take the reins and take, uh, you know, help out Stubblefield during his transition into this job, help out Sharaka in his transition to his job. And make you know raise the floor for Penn State's wide receiver. Uh, raising the floor is actually probably my answer to this next thing, which is what do we want to see out of Penn State's wide receiver core this year, Matt? For me, catches, the, yes, catches. one, two, catches. three, four, five, just consistency. Please, for the love of God, consistently catch the football. Like I don't know, it, it, it's simple, it's silly, it is like the core role of the position. Just catch the football. That is all I want to see out of Penn State's wide receivers. Even if you are not being these game-breaker type dudes, Matt, just when Sean Clifford puts a football in your general vicinity, really your ha- stick your hands out and reel it in. That's all I want. That's that's like After what we've seen, I, I can't ask for anything more. Like Legitimately, all I want to see is consistent catches. That, that's the only thing that matters to me this year, especially with how weird everything is probably going to be. That that's the only thing I want to see is just I don't care about stats. I don't care how many times they score. Well, obviously I do, but they can score with running the football. All I want to see is consistent receptions. Yeah, I mean, like the things like route running, blocking down the field. Like I trust they'll be fine at that stuff because that's just stuff that Penn State wide receivers tend to be pretty good at, especially blocking down the field. Like that that's a fun little attribute that everyone seems to be good at. But I want to see that, and then just kind of a little bit further down the list, Matt, I want someone, some ones who complement the two known commodities in Penn State's passing game. We know what Penn State's getting out of Jahan Dotson. We know what Penn State is getting out of Pat Fryermuth. If you get someone like Daniel George stepping into a wide receiver one role and just being a dog on the perimeter for the Nittany Lions, like, I'd love that. But if you could just give me, you know, three guys who combine for, I don't know, 70 to 80 catches, like, in addition to whatever you get out of Dotson and whatever you get out of Fryermuth, like, I would be just stoked by that. And I want to see Penn State get reps for the guys who are going to contribute in the, uh, contribute at receiver down the line because... It's the issue we've seen the last couple of years when you, when they needed guys to get onto the field last season, Justin Shorter just didn't seem like he had enough, like he was comfortable enough on the field to be able to make a receiver an impact as a receiver. Daniel George was in a very similar situation. Mac Hippenhammer, uh, when he was still with the program, he seemed like he was kind of the same thing. Like, just get guys on the field and get guys comfortable with the concept of playing wide receiver. Like I, 
think if they are able to do those three things, uh, consistently catch the football, get some depth at the position, and get guys who might not necessarily be among the depth chances on the field, I think this is going to be a really good wide receiver core. I agree. Just catch it. I care about Just catch it. Please, for the love just, of God. Just catch it. That's Taylor Stubblefield, if you are listening to this, one, come on the podcast, and two, like, just hours with the jugs machine. Like, route running, I'm sure that'll... They, they have a good enough idea of how to do that. It's just launch footballs with them, man. I trust I trust that they will eventually get that part down. Once they do, who boy. Uh, this, though, Matt, leads into the more somber thing that uh, we talk about with, the regards, with regards to Penn State's wide receiving core, and that's what we expect to see. Um, oh, God. And here's the deal. We just talked about what we want to see, and what we wanted to see was the basic function of wide receiving. Um, <laughs> I, for how much talent I think this room has, um, I think that based on everything that has happened the last couple of months, based on the potential, uh, you know, that maybe they don't have non-con, whatever it might be. I think that the expectations that we should have for this group need to be a bit more sober, I would say, uh, than the expectations that we might have for, say, Penn State's running backs. My expectation is potential, getting better throughout the season, but a lot of growing pains. A lot. And as long as those growing pains aren't drops, I am beyond happy with that. I am be if that's I don't care if they run into each other on routes I, that can be explained by having, you know, no spring ball, whatever. I, I don't expect much, but at the very least, I expect competency from more than, let's say, three dudes, which I think is really all I can ask for with, with what we're going into. Yeah, what I expect to see is I expect Jahan Dotson to be very reliable in what he does. I expect Cam Sullivan Brown to be very reliable in what he does. And that's kind of it. Like, I don't... Like, as much as I think Daniel George could elevate his game to be that kind of wide receiver number one, like, I think putting that expectation on him is quite a bit. Uh, Even if, again, like, I think he very much can do that. I don't know what expectations we could put on redshirt freshmen like John Dudmore and TJ Jones. I don't think we can put any expectations on true freshmen, uh, let alone guys who haven't, you know, who aren't getting a full spring ball, aren't getting, might not get a full, uh, you know, summer camp environment. Like, this is a really tough thing to get a read on. And I think that, uh, how, how do I phrase this? I think that you need to rely on the fact, if you were relying on anything and looking for a reason for optimism, and I, I don't think this would be an unfounded reason for optimism, I stretch of the imagination, that you would basically have to lean on the fact that Taylor Stubblefield knows what he is doing and Kirk Shiraka has a, a track record of having guys who are really good wide receivers in his program. Everything else after that is probably, 
after that, and then after, uh, you know, Dotson and Sullivan Brown being reliable to solid, reliable options, I think it basically turns into a crapshoot after that. Yep. Yep. I agree. I think it's going to be a lot of guess and check, um, which is fine. You can pass a lot of tests with guess and check. Yeah. And here, my major concern is that if they do not have a non-con, which I would very much like it if they did, but if they go just right into college, oh, you pump, you pumped about that San Jose state matchup too. Yeah, man. I, uh, oh God. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to miss that game. San I have a wedding to go to. I, um, am not going into a football stadium until I have, uh, well, I wouldn't, I'm not going right. to the game, but uh, I won't, uh, yes, I won't yes, be yes. able to, I won't be able to watch that game. If it happens, I have a wedding to go to. Yeah. Well, let's hypothetically say there is no spring ball, Matt. I mean, there's no, uh, non-conference ball, Matt. Mm-hmm. Here's what their schedule would then be. Northwestern at home. Then, Go Cats. Then at Michigan. Yikes. Then a bye. Then Iowa at home. Then Ohio State. Um, where do you grow? <laughs> where do you where that, do you get the reps? That's the thing. Like you can't you you can use the Northwestern game to an extent. You need to go with your your most reliable guys against Michigan, against Iowa, and against Ohio State. And then after that, it's Indiana at Indiana, at Nebraska, Michigan State, Maryland, at Rutgers. Like, the gate, the quote-unquote easy games on their schedule are their last four games. Like, it's four very, it would be four very difficult games and then a very, very, very tricky trip to Indiana. And then four... On Halloween. Yeah, and then four relatively easy games. Like, Penn's... If that happens, it is possible that Penn State's wide receiving core is not asked to do a whole lot, and they just run the hell out of the football for the first couple of games. But man, if they lose out on that non-con, I don't think there is a single position that is going to be hurt anywhere near as much as Penn State's wide receiver. Like, exponentially more than, you know, like, I think they have a couple of questions, maybe a defensive tackle, maybe a maybe a cornerback, but... Yeah, that would that would be tough, man. Yeah, let's hope. Mask up so that doesn't happen. Ma- mask up. Come on, guys. It's a piece of cloth. And also, like, you look like one of the doctors from Scrubs. Like, who doesn't love the doctors from Scrubs? N- Matt, did I you like, watch? I like, I, like, I like the janitor more. Dr. Jan Etor. Uh, player who interests you the most. This is the last thing we're going to talk about in our wide receiver preview before we get to one little thing at the very end here. When it comes to the guy who interests you the most, I have two answers for this, Matt. Uh, so I will cede the floor to you. And uh, my guess is you're going to name one of my guys. Yeah, I just got done going on my little uh, my little soapbox rant about Daniel George. I feel like I should say him, but all off season I've been saying I'm the uh, I'm the I'm the queen bee of the John Dunmore hive. So I feel like I got to go with my guy. I think John Dunmore is a really intriguing prospect. Really, really talented kid. And I'm actually going to take this question and really roll with it because it's who interests me the most. We kind of know what Daniel George is. We kind of know what John Dotson is. We don't really know what anyone else is. But of all of those dudes, I think John Dunmore has the highest ceiling. Also, he wears number eight, which was Alan Robinson's number. And I'd love to see that number uh, find the end zone a ton again. I think he's the kind of dude who can quickly work through his growing pains and become a fantastic third, fourth, you know, even maybe even second option for Sean Clifford. 
So George was one of my guys, and the other guy for me is Keandre Lambert Smith. Um, part of this is due to the fact that on twenty four seven, Bryant and Don in his wait a second, hold on, I have a uh, I have VIP. I want to make sure that I'm not giving any VIP information. Okay, I am not. Uh, his twenty four seven comparison is Robert Woods, uh, currently of the uh, Los Angeles Rams, formerly of the uh, USC Trojans, uh, as a college freshman, Robert Woods uh, caught 65 balls for 792 yards and six touchdowns. I would like it if uh, Keandre Lambert-Smith did that because Robert Woods kicked ass. Uh, But just generally, I think that Lambert-Smith is the guy. He came onto campus... Needs to bulk up a little bit. Listed at 6'1", 184, but is not, like, a complete and utter... That's pretty big for a high school kid. Right. Like, he's not a complete and utter string bean. Again, needs to bulk up a little bit, but he's a re... Everything that I've watched of him, he has elite, elite, elite agility right now. Good hands, is a good route runner. Seems like someone who uh, could step on campus. Not... Right away, like it seems like he needed a little bit of seasoning, but he just has the talent about him where he can get on the field and he can make stuff happen. And if he's someone who, even if you know the first couple of weeks are cutting his teeth, in the event that they have a, uh, in the event that they get lucky and they're able to have a full season, by the time the first four games are out of the way and they're heading into the big house. Maybe he's able to contribute there, but then you get to Iowa and Ohio State at home. By that point in the season, you know, your sixth, seventh game, if you're a true freshman who has the juice, those that's when you're starting to show that you can be a kind of guy who can really, really, really contribute during your first year on campus. So that is... I'm keeping my eye on Keandre Lambert-Smith because he's... Like, I just believe in this dude. I And I know Matt is... Uh, as our recruiting guy, he was big on Lambert Smith and Parker Washington. The evil Matt. The evil me. Matt, yes. Uh, the Matt who wears a, a, a dastardly mustache. Uh, Matt doesn't have a dastardly mustache, but that visual is very funny to me. If one of those guys is able to come in and they're able to just add an extra dimension to Penn State's Supreme Court, I think that I'm over the moon, and I think that of those two, Lambert Smith is the guy that I'm willing to bank on more. So... That's Penn State's wide receivers. It's a... uh, We made it. We made it. Yes. It's a position that I think... I don't want to say the sky's the limit, but there is a lot of talent there, and it's just a matter of putting it all together. If they don't this year, that's going to be really, really tough. But at the very least, uh, I think that their receiving core in uh, 2021 is potentially to be quite good. Uh, we can save that for down the road because we have one last thing to talk about. Uh, something that we heard out of Sandy Barber today. She was at th- this is something that, uh, you know, evil mustached Matt wrote about on the site. Uh, this is something that I actually am a, like just conceptually, I'm a very big fan of, uh, is that play moving the college football season to spring is something that she views as uh, a last resort. Uh, her full quote was one of the biggest challenges of a spring season. And it's probably the biggest one in my mind is the proximity to next season. And frankly, a second lost spring ball overcomable. If perhaps we're willing to have a shortened season, 
again, in the category of something is better than nothing, that may not be a problem at all. Uh, listen, I think, Matt, it's going to be real hard to have, like, if this is not something that is being reported, that I'm reporting, this is not anything that I've seen reported, anything like that. This is just looking at what is happening in this country with a pandemic going on. It just seems really hard to me to imagine a full-blown college football season. Uh, if that means the season is shortened, if that means there are no fans in the stadium, whatever it looks like, I like it just seems to make sense to me that if they want to have a college football season, not having it until the spring is probably more sensible than trying to do something in the fall. But I'm interested in hearing your thoughts on this because this is like, this is a situation that it is very easy for me to say something because I do not have billions upon billions of dollars on the line uh, and an athletic department to have to look over with football being the big cash cow. Yeah. It, it, I've thought a lot about this because college football is my, my, like my, probably my absolute favorite thing in the world. I I'm just a humongous. It's my favorite sport. I love college football. And I think a lot of it is I don't exactly love the football aspect. That's great. But everything that makes college football so much fun, college game day, it's, you know, the bands, it's the fans just being so, so much different than, than any other sports fans are. And I want football in the fall. I don't think anyone doesn't. That That's what we're used to. We wait all year, especially this year. And no matter what happens, it's going to be different than what we're used to. But by moving it to the spring, we get a little bit closer to what we normally expect. And that's going to be tough because that's that's so much to try to balance. If you're a football team, if you do the spring, you're going to have to do a shortened season. And selfishly, I don't want Penn State to have a shortened season, especially with how good we think 2020 can be. It's really hard. And thankfully, you know, we're still nine and a half weeks away. And thankfully, I work in marketing. Not I don't have anything to do with this decision. But my I, I want it in the fall. I think it'd be so much fun. I think this is going to be a great season. But if you were to tell me there's a better chance to have more of the normalcy surrounding the sport, if we kick off, say, the last week of February, I think I would push harder to move it to the spring than I would be to have it in the fall. I would take that trade in a nanosecond. Like, just generally, the thought of like, Penn State and Ohio State happening on a lovely April weekend is like think of how fun blue white is and then imagine if blue white was for like a real football game like that'd be really fun but with the shortened season would you be like because no matter what happens if, if they go spring we have to do what do you think eight games eight or nine something Does, like let's say all right let's say I'm uh, this is just totally in an in insane hypothetical situation let's say Penn State runs the gauntlet they go eight and no they win the playoff. Do you want Penn State to win the college football playoff in a season that is going to have an asterisk next to it for a lot of people? As a Manchester City supporter who is all in on them winning the Champions League this year despite it having an asterisk or whatever, absolutely. 
I say I, I say that as somebody who wouldn't be crazy about it, but I know when they're on game seven and they start to win, I know my entire outlook would change. But sitting here on, on July 1st and just thinking, you know, how how weird it would feel for Penn State to finally break through and, and, and get to that level and then for it to seem like it has an asterisk, I think would really bitter the taste uh, of finally getting there. So here's one thing that like I think is hanging over all of this, and that is the NFL. If the NFL, like the N- it, I, I believe today it canceled two. It has already pushed back its Hall of Fame game. Uh, I so think it canceled the Hall of Fame. Yeah, game canceled completely. the Hall of Fame. So that's not happening. I believe and they it canceled, canceled two preseason two games preseason today. Two preseason games. If the NFL cannot safely have a football season, I see zero way that you can justify there being a college football season. The fact that the people who make millions upon millions upon millions of dollars, who have the best health care, who have all the things that NFL players do that college athletes don't by the nature of being amateurs, I just cannot fathom how you can justify having a season. And then, kind of separate from all of this, is that last week, two weeks ago, uh, Anthony Fauci, person who you were aware of from uh, many things that have been posted onto Facebook in recent weeks, has went in front of Congress a week again a week or two ago and said, I think we're going to have a vaccine by the end of 2020, very beginning of 2021. You know, there are other scientists who might disagree with that. Like, I, there have been... Uh, What's his name? There's a gentleman by the name of Michael Osterholm from the University of Minnesota who thinks that these predictions might be a bit rosy. But if you buy that, which maybe you do, maybe you don't, I don't know. It just seems sensible to me to wait and to say, we'll wait until there is a vaccine out there uh, and say, we're going to wait. Once we know that we can safely have a college football season where players are safe, fans are safe, coaches are safe, all that that just seems to make more sense to me. But again, I don't have any financial stake in this. Um, I breathed a gigantic sigh of relief when the news came out today that uh, 102 Penn State student athletes were tested, have been tested through uh, June 30th, and none of them have tested positive for COVID-19. Yeah, Both- great job. Great job. And also, yeah. everybody went to um, those, those police brutality protests, and they all had masks on. So take note. Wear your mask. Wear a mask. Come on. Like, if you, how about this? If you really, really want a mask, but you do not have one, I will go to my grocery store. I will buy a 10 pack of masks and I will mail you one. I, you, uh, do you have cool stamps. I remember like your family? Cool no, I, I, I don't even know what stamps. They probably have an American flag on them. I will send you masks. Please, for the love of God, wear one. Not even because of college football, just out of like a general sense of decency and a general sense of uh, camaraderie with one another. But, you know, hopefully it all pays off. Hopefully we are able, uh, you know, we get over this hump that uh, we need to get over in the coming days and weeks, no matter how difficult things are. And hopefully we are able to get something that looks like football 
later this year. Uh, Matt, I think it's time to wrap this one up. Is there anything that you would like to uh, you would like to add to end here? Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to say what I told you before we started recording. Uh, Three Big Ten East schools have all had zero positive tests. It's Penn State, it's Maryland and it's Indiana. So what I think is let's play a 12 game slate, six games against Maryland, six games against Indiana. We're going 12 and 0, folks. We're going 12 and 0, folks. Hopefully. Well, I would like it if that happened regardless. Uh, But thank you uh, very much to all of you for listening to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. As always, make sure you're following us on all of our various social media channels. Make sure you're subscribing to the podcast in all the places where you can subscribe to the podcast. If you are an Apple Podcast user, please, please, please head on there. Leave us a five-star review. We would really, really appreciate that. We're also on Spotify. Make sure you're heading over to Spotify and subscribing too. Keep reading and supporting the site. Keep buying shirts. Uh, And then, of course, wear a mask. I am serious. I will send you it. DM me on Twitter. I will send you a mask if you would really, really like one. Uh, wash your hands, hand sanitizer, all that stuff. Keep your distance. All these things. Please, for the love of God, Manchester City beat Liverpool on Thursday. One last time, thank you very much for listening to this edition of Royal Lions Radio. From my co-host, Matt Filippovitz, I'm Bill DeFilippo. Take care, everyone.